Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Jesus, in His mercy and His grace, helps us that we don't get caught in the middle of our road, in the middle of our journey, and so He, he comes to offer us a way out. One of the amazing things you'll find as you turn to the Bible, the 66 books in the Bible, you'll find that they are not packed with tough, difficult theological statements. You'll find Bible and and Jesus, you'll see them talking to us through illustrations and stories and poems. Now Jesus told stories all the time. He told us stories so that we can relate to God. He told us stories and parables so that we we can understand the good news. Consider the phrase he uses in Matthew chapter 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Jesus presents a concept so big, so large, the kingdom of heaven, and then brings it down to something so common and so small, a mustard seed. Jesus was a master communicator. When he spoke to us, when he painted the canvas, he used familiar illustrations. He used familiar scenery. He talked about the carpenter's shop. He talked about the kitchen, fishing, business, tax office, birds, cornfields, flowers, travelers, salt, table lamps, contractors, sparrows, bridesmaids, and businessmen. He told us as children to find God and and to listen, listen to God. We needed to be like children. We needed to be like sheep. Like snakes and like doves, be harmless, be wise as a serpent, be harmless as a dove. To help us understand God, to relate to God, he took abstract principles, principles like faith and grace. But he related to us and he said, he related it by saying to moving mountains, pushing the camel through the eye of the needle, offering bread to dogs. Jesus helped us by drawing upon what common people like us understood, what common people like us could relate to. And in doing that, he taught us that truth was neither unattainable and neither was it boring. Jesus came to make it simple for us so that we will not get caught in the middle of the road. The stories that Jesus used were fictitious stories. He made it up. He designed it and he presented it to us so that we can hear the story and then we can apply it to our life. That's the goal of the story. Hear the story and then apply it to your life. Welcome to our sermon series. It is titled Tales of the Kingdom. Every week we have been presenting to you one of the, one of the stories which Jesus has taught us. And through that we have been learning some amazing kingdom principles. If you're here for the first time, we'd like to welcome you. For those of you watching us online, we want to welcome you also. Today we are looking at another story. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And even as we dive into the rich man and Lazarus, if you would like to follow the sermon notes, it's there in the bulletin. Otherwise, if you have the Portico app, 
You can follow it there. It's fillable notes with extra space available. If you would like to get hold of the uh, Portico app, right at the top of the sermon notes, you'll find the QR codes as mentioned there. You can go to iTunes App Store or you can go to Google Play. It's mentioned right there in the sermon notes. You can download the app and use it. That's a wonderful way to follow the sermon notes. Our parable today, our story today begins with two characters. They are totally different. Jesus is contrasting the rich man with the beggar. Now when Jesus told our stories, he, he did that. That was pretty common in his style of preaching. He presented the contrast or, or, or the comparison. And, and in presenting that to us, we were, be better, we were able to understand it better. So if you remember the story, there's a story he talked about. He talked about the five foolish virgins. And then he contrasts it and he talks about the five wise virgins. Right here in this story, he's talking about the rich man and then the beggar. Now, usually when Jesus is telling us a story, he does not name a character in a story. He told some marvelous stories to his audience. He talked about the prodigal son. He talked about the ten bridesmaids. He talked about the shrewd manager, the good Samaritan. He talked about the ten bridesmaids, the unforgiving servant, and we can go on. None of them have a name in the story. They're just characters. But when we come to this parable, we have the rich man, and then we have the beggar, and the beggar is named Lazarus. As you read the story, you realize that Jesus is presenting a message which contradicts the teachings of our world. The 21st century largely, promoted a, largely promotes a postmodern mindset. Our present teaching is there is no absolute. In fact, the only absolute we are supposed to believe in is that there is no absolute. That's what we believe. But when we come to the teachings of Jesus Christ, He's presenting us something which is very contradictory to the world. We live in a generation where we search for everything on the internet. And what we find, we read. And what we read, we believe. Truth has replaced lies and we don't even know the difference. It is in such a context that the story of Jesus Christ, which he's presenting to us today, the story which Jesus is talking about, is going to be refreshing to you. It's going to be refreshing to your mind. It is going to be refreshing for your heart. It is going to be refreshing to your soul. So in order for us to start this journey, allow me to read this story. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verse number 19 to verse number 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm that has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here 
go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scriptures. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they do not listen to the scriptures, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. A few verses back in Luke chapter 16, Jesus presented a parable, the parable of the shrewd manager. And at the end of that, in verse number 14, He was speaking primarily to the Pharisees. In verse number 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all of this and they scoffed at him. They rejected the message. Here in verse number 19 to 31, Jesus is presenting another story that relates to money and hoping that the response will be better this time. We need to remember that Jesus is speaking to the first century Jews. And there was a strong tradition, tradition, strong theological tradition in Judaism. It was grounded in the idea that you reap what you sow. What you get in life is what you deserve. If you're poor or sick, then there must be a known or an unknown sin in your life that has caused you to come to this place, this place of misfortune. Now, I was born in India. And I grew up with the understanding that this was your karma. The Hindi word is, this is your karm. If you are from uh, Urdu, Urdu speaking uh, country, this is your kismat. This is your takdeer. Or this is your fate. This is your luck. Even in the Old Testament, Job's friend said to him, in Job chapter 11, verse number 14 to 17, If you put away the sin that is in your hand, and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. How wonderful. The Jews to whom Jesus is speaking this parable likewise believe that if you are good, good things will happen. But if you are evil, then like the beggar, you'll be sick and you'll be poor. And if if this is what you deserve, then why do I need to do anything about you? You deserve it. Here is the first thing I want you to understand. Lesson number one. Some things in life are beyond your control. Some things in life are beyond your control. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this. If you are feeling disappointed with God, if you are feeling angry, if the burdens in your life is too difficult for you to bear, then do not give up, do not lose hope. Be patient and lean on God because He loves you and God is in total, absolute control. Max Lucado, he's a pastor and writer and he writes it beautifully. He says, if our greatest need was information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, then God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But God sent us a savior. It is not our goodness that saves us. It is Jesus. 
But the rich man does not get this lesson. Let's read Luke chapter 16, verse number 19 and verse number 20. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. Jesus begins the story with there was a rich man. He does not name the rich man. That's all we know. He was a rich man. And he was dressed in purple and with fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now the word purple, let's stop there for a moment. The word purple was the color of royalty. And anything made out of purple was expensive because purple had to be extracted carefully from the oyster shell. Only the rich could afford it. So it's very clear. The starting is, okay, he is rich. Now, to contrast that, or just before we contrast it, let's look at the Jewish context for a moment. Wealth represented position, it represented power, it represented prestige. It's almost like it is today. Now, the Pharisees took this a step further because they thought they deserved this. The honored place in the synagogue or honored place in the place in the feast, they deserved it. They loved the salutation. They loved the adoration. They they loved the attention that they received because it was theirs. They deserved it. It is so easy for us to be guilty of measuring blessing differently than the way God does. The The rich man wrongly understood. He wrongly comprehended that all the attention and the salutation and the adoration... And and the special position in the synagogue and the special position of the feast, what that represented was the blessing of God. And then in his heart he believed that Lazarus, what he got, he deserved it too. To be poor and to be sick. And so if I deserve this and he deserves that, then why do I need to do anything about Lazarus? He deserves it. Bible, on the other hand, teaches us something totally different. Let me illustrate that for you with a story. A man died. He went to heaven. Peter met him at the the pearly gates and said, well, this is how it works. You tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points based on how good your good things have been. And when you arrive at 100 points, you make it. You get to heaven. The man said, all right. He said, I've been married for 50 years. I've been faithful to my wife. I've never cheated on her. Peter said, that's good. Fantastic. Two points. The man said, two points? He goes, yeah. Okay. My mother-in-law came home and, you know, she was there and I tolerated her and I never cursed my mother-in-law. Fantastic. That's really good. Three points. Three points. Well, you know, I used to attend Portico Church and, and I was really faithful to the core values. You know, the connect core value, I came to church, I gave my tithes, I gave my offerings. In fact, I even took communion. Oh, that's really good. Two points. Two points. Well, I was even faithful to the core value, uh, the grow core value. I was part of the small group. I went a step further. I was even faithful to the serve core value. I volunteered, I came to the kitchen, I, I cooked, I went downtown, I served food to the homeless through Cornerstone. Peter said, that's good. Two points. The exasperated man said, I just don't get this. This way, only the grace and the mercy of God will make me get to heaven. Bingo, said St. Peter. You got it. Come on in. 
you make it. It is not our good deeds. It is not how faithful we are to coming to church and and, and giving offering and I'm volunteering and God, because I'm doing all these things, I make it. We don't. It is the grace and the mercy of God and we need to stop here before we go anywhere and we need to accept it. We need to accept that there are some things in life which is beyond our control and you are not to be blamed when things go wrong in your life and you should stop taking credit for things that goes right in your life. Now I'm not saying you don't take responsibility for bad decisions which you've made. But you also need to realize that outside of the grace, we do not make it. Luke chapter 13, verse number 4. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Have you ever heard when something bad happens somewhere, earthquake, something bad, have you ever heard a televangelist get up and say, well, this is, this is the curse of God. And it sounds so righteous. I personally have a problem with that. Because what the word of God is saying, when the tower in Siloam fell, do you think they were more guilty than others in Jerusalem? So that's why they they faced it and I did not? Or do you think it's the grace and mercy of God that I missed it? Now in our days this is important because we turn on our television set and we hear this all the time. We see innocent people dying because of acts of terrorism. According to United Nations estimate, they tell us that 21,000 people die of hunger every day. Do you think those 21,000 people who die of hunger are more guilty than us? And that's why they die, 21,000 people die of hunger every day. In this church, in the month of December, we collect food. And we collect food for Mississauga Food Bank. So last year I was looking at some statistics. Right here in beautiful Mississauga, I realized that 112,000 people in our city live below the poverty line. Mississauga has a little over 700,000 people. What that means is one out of seven people right here in Mississauga live below the poverty line. As we read Luke chapter 13 verse number 4, we realize that Bible is clearly telling us that we are not more guilty and so bad things happen to us. And we are not less guilty, so good things happen in our life. Now the Pharisees would have problem with that because the first century Pharisees took great pride in their righteousness. Through strict obedience, through interpretation of God's law. They took pride in that. And they also despised others. Oh, did they despise. They despised the sinners and they despised the tax collector. Now in contrast to the rich man, the beggar was not only poor, but he was covered with sores. I'm not sure why Jesus referred to this poor beggar as Lazarus, but look at the meaning of his name. The Greek name Lazarus is derived from two Hebrew words, El Azar, God help. And the meaning of his name is assistance of God or whom God helps. The irony is that those who truly believe they were religious, in our context, those who truly believe they were religious, 
were the ones who were not accepting the one whom God helps. They disdained someone whom God accepted. So if you are here this morning and you have felt rejected or you have felt ignored or you have felt insulted by one of us in the church, then on behalf of all of us, I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry. But you also need to remember that God is there and He will help you. And that is why we whisper prayers because we all need God. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 45. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are being reminded again that in this life, bad things happen to good people. And likewise, good things happen to bad people. We carried out a survey on our, on our church app. If you haven't downloaded the church app, you're not able to take part, in the, take part in the poll question. So here's the plug. Download the church app. You can be part of the poll, which we will take. The question was, in your opinion, how much does God control the good and bad experience we encounter in our lives? 16% of us said God moves, around, moves us around like chess pieces in His game. 69% of us said God orchestrates the important things but leaves the rest to us. And then 14% of us said God does not intervene in our everyday circumstances. Interesting. Look at the beggar in the story for a moment. The beggar was what we today would call a street person who has become terminally ill. He's portrayed as having no one that, would, that, that could or would help him. He was entirely on his own and had nothing. Note that Lazarus was so desperate in need of help that he desired to eat but did not get the food scraps that fell on the floor. And in sharp contrast, we have the rich man, which is symbolic of the Pharisees. In our context, it's symbolic of us who call ourselves religious. And, and the rich man is so callous regarding the human suffering that he does not even give to the beggar what is headed towards his trash. The beggar made one mistake. I admit it. The mistake which beggar made was that he had faith in the rich man and in trusting in man, he is disappointed in his earthly life. And in trusting in God, the same beggar is rewarded even beyond the riches of this earth. The lesson here is, do not trust in man. If somebody comes along and helps you, it's the grace and mercy of God. And no matter how wonderful your boss is, Don't necessarily trust him, except if it's Pastor Doug. (laughs) But in trusting in God, he finds riches even, even beyond the riches of the earth. Here is something we need to understand about God's gift being offered to us. You cannot work towards it. You cannot pay for it. You cannot earn it. Your flattery with God will not get you anywhere. The gift which God is offering is so precious that it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that can give to us that gift. And because of the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, that gift comes to us by us doing nothing but simply accepting it as a gift. 
It's not a salary. It's not a wage. We don't earn it. It is a gift and we receive it. And while your faith is being challenged at this time and you are feeling a sense of disappointment, we are being reminded that we do not control these things. It is God who causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good. It is God who sends the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And if that's the case, what's the good news? The good news is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have an eternal life. Lesson number two. Everybody dies but there is life after death. The parable presents to us a powerful truth. Jesus in this parable teaches teaches us that there is heaven and there is hell. And both are real, literal places. There are absolutes in this life. What is significant to remember through the lens of the story is that when we look at life from an eternal perspective, we find that the roles of these two men changes between now and then. The one who was in a position to give in this life is now begging to receive in life after death. And the beggar who was longing for the crumbs from the rich man's table is now in a position to give. The reversal has taken place. Let's read Luke chapter 16, verse 22 and 23. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. You know, in India where I grew up, there was a there's a a poet by the name of Kabir, and he said it this way: Sado ye murdoka gao is made. Raja Maryen, Sabhi Maryen, Maryen Pura Gaon. What is the point of living here? Everybody will die, the king will die, the rich man will die, the whole village will die. And it's a struggle. Life can be meaningless without God. But in due course, even as the beggar and the wealthy man die, and we discover this, Lazarus is helped by God to Abraham, while the well-off man does not enjoy this favor. Now seeing Abraham, the rich man appeals to him to send Lazarus to cool his tongue with a drop of water. I find this really interesting. Even in heaven, Lazarus is, the rich man is treating Lazarus like a servant. Can he get me some water? Amazing. So he's asking, can, can, he, can, can, can he get me some water? While the same rich man on earth did not even give him the crumbs from his table. Now Jesus puts this very beautifully in his teachings. He says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The least among you is the greatest and the greatest among you is the least. It is a classic role reversal that has taken place. Acts chapter 24 verse number 15. I have the same hope in God that these men have that we raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. What Jesus is presenting to us in the story is a warning. He's telling us not to be arrogant in this present life. Jesus is reminding us that not only does everyone die, but there is life after death and there is a change in fortune. But to end it well, we need to look at lesson number three. Your choices in life determines your eternity. Your choices in life determines your eternity. 
While death is out of control, we are being taught that there is an eventual moment of reward or regret. And the life we live today is not just about today. It has eternal consequences. Luke 16, verse number 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. Jesus got the attention of the Pharisees by mentioning Abraham as a character in the story. And Jesus is showing to the religious people of his time that one needs to live his life correctly today. The religious people at this time need to live life correctly today. First Timothy 4 verse number 8. For physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. While the Olympics are in full swing, you probably went home and switched on the television and you saw the start of the Olympics. I thought it would be interesting to see how Apostle Paul uses the example of physical exercise to illustrate to us a spiritual truth. The Greek placed great deal of importance to their bodily exercise. The athletic events was of great importance to them, just like Olympics is of great importance to us. The lesson we learn here is that we who are listening to the teachings of Jesus should put as much effort into the pathway of godliness as these athletes are putting into the exercise of their bodies. So how do we respond to the story of Jesus Christ? Years ago, somewhere in England, an unknown preacher was preaching this parable. A man by the name of Albert Schweitzer came to the church. And as he came to the church that day, he sat down and his life was changed. We sit here and think about the Lazarus problem and how many Lazarus are in the world and we can do nothing about it. Dr. Schweitzer reacted differently. He was enormously gifted with degrees in music and medicine and theology. He could do just about anything. But as he listened to the teachings of Jesus Christ, he was convicted in his heart and he realized that he was a rich man and the people in Central Africa were the Lazarus. So he was convicted by God and he dedicated his life to the poorest people in Central Africa. That is how this parable impacted Dr. Schweitzer. That was 100 years ago. Today, for all of us, This parable is going to strike us in three ways. To some of us, it will be words of comfort. And the words of comfort is captured in John 11 verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. While this parable comes to you as a word of comfort because you've already made the right decision, to others of you it will come as words of explanation or as words of warning. Jesus finally tells us what is the meaning behind the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus was telling the Pharisees who were such religious hypocrites that since they did not truly believe what Moses and the prophets wrote, or they did not truly believe what the scripture said, no amount of miracles and wonders would be able to change their minds or alter, their, alter their, their life behavior, it was the hardness of the heart that, ha, that will keep them from truly repenting and serving God. While we are not sure why Jesus named this beggar Lazarus, it is interesting to note 
that the one whom he raised from the dead in the New Testament was a man by the name of Lazarus. The rich man in the story thought that his brothers would believe someone risen from the dead. While Abraham said in the story that they would not. The real irony is that for the past 2000 years we have the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. Who actually did rise from the dead. But many, many people still do not believe or give heed to his message. As we hear the story from Jesus, we can live with the comfort that we have responded correctly. Or we can live with regret that we could have responded correctly today, but we did not. Now some of you sitting here, you're going through a major life problem. Your life is falling apart. Things are not going well for you. Your, your life seems to have hit a bump. You want to know how to make it right. You're, you're needing help. You want to make it better for yourself. Now it is true that you don't choose your circumstances, rich or poor. We don't control it. No one chooses when we die. The only thing we choose is how we live and what we believe. Today after you're hearing the story from Jesus, we are all confronted with two questions. Question number one. What are you investing your life in? Question number two. Will you accept Jesus and allow him to change your life? Please allow me to close with a powerful poem written by an unknown writer. This poem, I'm not afraid to die, was found on the body of a 19-year-old American soldier in Vietnam. Look God, I've never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see God, they told me you did not exist. And like a fool, I believed all of this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken the time to see the things you had made, I would know they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you would shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you will understand. Strangely, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess the zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you are near. The signal. Well, God, I will have to go. I love you lots. This I want you to know. Looks like this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you will wait at the door. Look, I'm crying. Me, shedding tears. I wish I had known you these many years. Well, I have to go now, God. Goodbye. Strange I met you. I'm not afraid to die. The good news today is that we don't need to be afraid to die. In spite, in spite of how you've lived, in spite of the mistakes you've made, we don't need to live like that before, like that anymore. Now we can sit here and we can try to resist what Jesus is telling us today. But I believe deep down in your heart, you know that God has a better plan for you. He has got plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You may be listening to this message and you are trying really hard to understand how to receive his, his hope and his blessings. How to enjoy life both now and forever. And so you are wondering, 
Do I need to read the Bible? Do I need to pray? Do I need to give devotion? Do I need to volunteer? Maybe if I do all these good things, good things will happen to me. The good news is that you need to do nothing. You need to do nothing to earn a happy ending. In Revelation 3 verse number 20, Jesus says, Here I am. I'm standing at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now God cannot get any closer than that. He's right here waiting for you to answer him. And so this invitation today is for you. It is for you who's watching us online. The invitation is for you to connect to him as an individual because he comes to offer you hope. And he comes to extend an invitation to you. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to request you to close your eyes for a moment. And even as all eyes are closed and all heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you to take a moment to reflect on the word of God. And I'm going to ask you a question. Will you accept Jesus today? Will you say yes to Jesus? If you would like to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to request you to just... Slip up your hand and slip it down. I'm not going to call you in the front and I'm not going to make you stand up. But just where you are, if you're saying yes to Jesus, will you just raise your hand and slip it down? God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Just raise it. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? If you're watching us online, God bless you. If you're watching us online, you can make a decision to follow Jesus right now. I'm going to ask you one more. Again, I'm not going to call you in the front. But just where you are, will you take the time and you will say yes to Jesus? Anyone else? If you're watching us online, reach out to the online host. We'll be happy to help you. Just to make it easier for us, easier for those who have said yes to Jesus right here in the room. I'm going to pray and as we pray, I'm going to request all of us to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. And the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe. That you died for my sins. Help me to turn away. From my mistakes. And experience your blessings. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.